This is an ABC podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. It's so good to be back and so good to be with you. We've slipped out of our pyjamas and taken our hair rollers out and we are in the stew, stew studio to talk everything footy and particularly the W Awards, which unfolded last night. We have a huge show. We're going to catch up with the winner of the W Award, Maddie Presparkas, the rising star, Izzy Huntington, and the All-Australian captain, Karen Paxman. But before we get into all of that, I'm going to let my football-loving sisters introduce themselves. Hey there, Nicole. Hey here. Hi, it's Lucy Race. Hello, it's Rana Hussain. Oh, it's so good to see you all. And we've got Tess Armstrong, our trusty producer in the other studio, <laughs> flipping us the bird and doing, <laughs> doing her thing. How is everyone? I haven't seen you for an eternity. So good. I mean, we have seen you in little squares on computer screens. <laughs> and I think that's been such a highlight, just all of the social media and especially around AFLW. I don't know whether you guys caught it, but the Carlton Football Club did the women, did the most hilarious nutbush. Did you guys see this? All on their own little squares oh, in their own so homes good. and put it all together. I think it was for the Carlton Best and Fairest. That's been one of my highlights over the last week. Mm, yeah, look, I won't lie. I've had a rough week, but... Um, I spilt my coffee on myself this morning, so I feel like now that's out of the way. I'm ready to go. <laughs> it happens once a day anyway, so I can get on with my day now. That's broken the back of everything, do you think, Rana? <laughs> yes. That coffee spilled. Yes. Great. Great. Yeah, we're, we're looking hard for highlights, aren't we? I, To be honest, I spent about an hour and a half trying to work out my background for my Zoom meetings, and it was actually a lot of fun. So that's where I'm at placed at the moment. <laughs> it's the little things, right? Well, this is the first time genuinely that I've been out, not out of the house, but out of my suburb for weeks, for like six weeks or something like that. So, um, yeah, I had to remember how to drive my car and how to put shoes on. You know, do you remember <laughs> shoes? That sort of that sort of thing. And it's interesting. I was thinking about the other day how um, we were talking about this this morning, how time feels like it's been experienced differently during this coronavirus pandemic, because I haven't seen you all for six or seven weeks and it feels like feels like 10 years. It got me thinking about a thing that my friend said to me you know, ages ago, which has always stuck in my mind and I feel is really relevant for the pandemic times. So you know how dogs age differently to humans? And so like one human year is seven dog years. A friend of mine once said to me that she originally thought that what that meant was that dogs experience time differently to humans so that, you know, if she goes to work for eight hours for the dog, it's like she's been gone for 56 hours. Oh, and wow. she felt really, really... I don't think the maths works quite like that, but I like the idea of it, yeah. And, and, and she said that she, she felt so concerned and so guilty about going to work for the day. She's like, I've been gone and Felix has been there for 56 hours by himself. And I feel like that's the pandemic times. It's like we're living in dog, dog years. Do you think our dog overlords are actually behind this <laughs> pandemic? And Because they are having the greatest time of their lives. True. You know, most of us have got pets. I know Tess, our producer, has a new dog, Bobby. It's like the best of times for all of our 
our animals, right? Cyril's having the time of his life. It's been wonderful. But yeah, it's been a tough time. It's been a, a difficult time. But there's been some lovely news this week. As I said, we've had the W Awards and we're going to speak to all of the winners in a little bit of time. But before we get to that, why don't we roll up our dressing gowns and, um, <laughs> and melee because there's been heaps of stuff to talk about. I'm Chelsea Roffey. You're listening to The Outer Sanctum. One of the big stories that came out overnight, which is a huge story, I think, has to do with the suggestion that the AFL might want to move to the establishment of what they call quarantine hubs. The idea that teams would be quarantined together in hubs so that they are away from family and friends for extended periods of time, hopefully then not at risk of contracting the coronavirus and then able to play with each other. But there's been a bit of a backlash apparently from from the playing cohort, not necessarily all of the players, but a lot of them are apparently very unhappy about this idea. And some players have threatened to, to stand down and just not play the year out. So it's a huge story and really has major implications for the future of the AFL in season 2020. What did you think of this story? Well, it really has. Clearly the AFL are a fair way down the track in terms of coming up with what their proposals are. They, as you've said, Kate, spoke to the players and the AFLPA last night via a massive Zoom meeting, which I think had over 500 participants. I can't even imagine how that works. (laughs) But they're not going to make any big pronouncements until after a cabinet meeting. Um, So all eyes are on AFL House. And I think WA Premier Mark McGowan summed it up best when he said this. It was like awaiting the selection of the Pope. You wait to see the smoke come out the chimney and then you can uh, know that a new uh, decision has been made. I know there's been a lot of jokes made about <laughs> the um, AFL being its own little um, domain. Or <laughs> White smoke's good, right? We're sure that that's what, that's what we want. White smoke means you, they've made a choice, made a decision. I don't know. I want brown yeah. and gold yeah, smoke brown. myself. But, <laughs> but it's, a, like, it's a massive, massive issue. And mm. I think the AFL is really between a rock and a hard place because you've got broadcasters and you know people who have economic ties and considerations resting on these decisions. And then on the other hand, you've got players with some really valid concerns. And I think it's really interesting from the players' perspective because at the start of this whole pandemic, when footy was shut down, a lot of people were really upset with the players for going back and forth um, with the AFL around their pay. But now this has sort of flipped a bit because it seems entirely reasonable that they would be saying, no, we don't want to be separated from our families. But uh, what I'm not entirely understanding is, is this something that the AFL has put forward as the most extreme case or is this where they're likely to head? The potential plan is up to 20 weeks and this is assuming that there is no change in the current situation um, or at least no relaxing of the current restrictions Um, and it's blocks of the first block is three weeks of pre-training or pre-season and then five weeks of playing so that's an eight-week block and then it'll be another eight-week block and then a potential finals series of four weeks and I think that each time that at the end of those blocks they would have the potential to revise that based on what the current um, legal restrictions are. I just think it's an incredibly big ask and especially given, as you said, that the players have taken a, a pay cut, which, you know, seems perfectly reasonable for a fewer games. But in the t- in terms of being locked away, potentially from their families for a long period, um, that's a very big ask. But also what about the staff? What about the support staff and their family members? Would they be cut off as well? It's an extraordinary scenario when you think about it. And it's not like you can say that players are a homogenous group. Mm. You know, everybody has such different circumstances, different family circumstances. Just personally, I know when 
my older two boys were really young, my husband used to travel for long periods of time and I know it's re- it's all relative, but him being away for three weeks was really, really tough. And there was times there where I was finding it very, very difficult and couldn't have gone any longer. And I don't think we can assume what people's circumstances are, you know, mm. that everybody has such different needs in terms of their own health and well-being. And different personality types too. Mm. Like yeah. I'm an introvert and I just couldn't I frankly couldn't bear to spend eight weeks trapped in a hotel room with you guys, to be honest. honest. Even though I love you all, you know, like I just... I begged Lucy to share. (laughs) You need that downtime, whereas people... I'll just be really tidy. Thanks, Kate. I think it's a sign of the times that these players have come back with the concerns of their own mental health and their, the mental health mm. of their families as well. Like a, a number of years back, that would not have happened. Mm-hmm. It's a sign of the progress, really. It's really interesting looking at all of the reactions on social media about it and lots of people saying, oh, you know, there are people in the Defence Forces that travel. And I've seen a tweet from Sam Groth, a tennis player, saying, you know, well, we do this all the time. But it's not really the same because... We know that individual athletes who, you know, play golf or tennis can take their entourage. They can have their families with them if they want to. Also, they're not locked down Mm. in one location. I kind of also wonder whether putting everybody together is like creating a cruise ship situation. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, really. Yeah, I know. It it raises really interesting questions. There's two things about it that I think are also particularly interesting. And one is what if there's a big split, which I think there there is Mm. based on reports we've heard so far within the playing group. What if some of the footballers say, look, I'm just not prepared to sign up to that and some are. Mm. Would the competition proceed in that situation with perhaps a vastly revamped version of the Richmond Football Club or the Essendon Football Club? And, And what does that mean for you know for for us being able to predict how those games will play out but the other thing that I do want to say is I personally would not be keen on on doing it and not, not not personally be keen on signing up to something like that and so I fully accept and endorse and believe that the players should have the the right to to choose what's best for them and their families but that said if they do go ahead with this I do want 24 hour seven day a week yeah CCTV yes. footage I want it to be like a battle royale <laughs> yeah I mean Survivor. Hunger Games type situation uh-huh. where we we have oh, full, yeah. <laughs> full coverage and you know we know the broadcasters are looking for content yeah, right? right they're looking for for serious content so oh, why, why not fascinating to have players from different clubs all in in the same location and then forcing together and then what does that mean for clubs, you know, potentially players deciding to go and move to another club because yeah. they've become really close. You wouldn't close actually and... need the football. Like you could just watch you that just watch and that. see how it played out. One of the potentially biggest issues that could come out of it, quite apart from the legal, is that there will be be division between players and that whatever the final decision is, that could highlight the very different sort of personalities and the different expectations and create division where perhaps it wouldn't have been once before. There'll be players under pressure financially to need to do that and also feeling freer perhaps if they're younger or don't have those family connections. And then those other players who maybe near the end of their career just don't see the risk being worthwhile and what that might do to even the Players Association. The one thing that we do know is whatever happens, this season's going to have a massive asterisk next to it. Mm. (laughs) So it's going to have an asterisk anyway. Do we want to force people to do something that they don't want to do 
given that the result is going to feel very different. Yeah, and to, compromised, yeah, not comparable to, to the, the rest. Mm. Yeah. Well, mm. I mean, what I would say is that if I think it means that the, the premiership could be tainted in some ways or seen as, could be. as less... <laughs> it, I mean, it is. It would be the same. No, I say Absolutely. could be because if Hawthorne wins, then the competition's Good not point. compromised and it's fully legit. <laughs> um, on that note... <laughs> Lucy, there was another story that caught your eye this week. There was. It was a story in the Herald Sun by Jay Clark and it's basically about the Saints um, and the way that they've been using this hiatus time to forge stronger bonds with each other. So part of their strategy in terms of you know bringing people together has been writing letters to each other where they talk about what they admire in each other and by all reports these letters have been really genuine and really emotional. David Rath um, joined the Saints at the end of last year. He's the head of the football program there and he was interviewed about this and he said this, we did a bit of digging into that and the connections which already existed in the group and what we found was that there were some really strongly connected groups and there was also some stratification I suppose or subgroups as well. He talked about how there were clusters of friendship groups but not necessarily an even spread and through a range of ways they're trying to consciously foster connections through the whole playing group and what it reminded me of was the social network analysis that Sean Gorman talked about in his book um, reviewing the AFL's vilification law. In that book, he and his fellow editors were examining the relationship between the types of social networks in clubs and what impact that has on club culture. And I think it's part of that trend in modern sport to really embrace communication, vulnerability, difference and connection, just how important it is. I just don't know that we would have seen a story like this in another time. I think my favourite part of the whole kind of what we're going through, and, and there are things about it that have got some appeal, is how we're combining these like quite modern technologies in terms of having Zoom meetings and all of the emphasis on the digital space with all these legacy kind of activities as well. So, you know, the board games and writing long letters instead mm. of text each other, having these, you know, quite traditional ways of communicating, but also ways of just spending our time uh, in a way that we haven't for such a long time. And it's such a weird mix where you're literally spending hours out in the, well, not hours, but time out in the park with your family in a way that you wouldn't before and then going in and Zooming towards 500 odd people for a meeting it, later. It's, it's very Jane Austen, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I oh, love it. What happens if the letter gets slipped under a carpet? And so one person thinks they didn't get the letter. Oh, oh my mind's racing. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting, though, like, as you say, Nick, we have had to be really creative about how we communicate and connect to other people um, during this time. And I think, you know, all of us are probably engaged in doing that. We've done it with each other as well. We've had Zoom meetings and tried to reach out to our listeners, too, in, in new and diverse ways. My sister lives in New Zealand and we find ourselves having Zoom brunches and cooking together online. And, and I think that that's lovely. It's beautiful. But it's, it will be really interesting in a sporting context, in a team sport context, to see whether some some clubs end up doing this better than, than other clubs. And to hear what St Kilda, do, St Kilda is doing is really fascinating. And I would love to know whether other clubs are trying similar things or, you know, how they're trying to stay connected to their to the playing group or keep the playing group connected if so. This was um, on my mind when I was watching episode four of The Last Dance. Mm -hmm. That episode looked at the coach, Phil Jackson, and um, when he took over as coach, one of the things he wanted was more of a team-based approach rather than just being, you know, a game plan based around Michael Jordan. And there's this really funny bit, I hope there's no spoilers in here for anyone, but you kind of know what happens, it was history, (laughs) um, where Michael Jordan says, he was saying there's no I in team. Well, there is one in win. (laughs) 
<laughs> but there's um there's kind of a lovely payoff for this at the end of that episode. So keep your eye out for that. I feel like I'm maybe Rana and I we're like the only people yeah. in the world who haven't watched any of that I'm documentary. Saving it. I'm saving it too. I'm going to binge it all in one go. I think mm. I I absolutely can't can't wait. It sounds terrific. Well, it's awards season. It's it's a strange awards season, but uh, but here we are anyway. We're doing it virtually. We had the W Awards last night. We had the All-Australian team named. We also had Goal of the Year and Mark of the Year announced. So uh, first up, a huge congratulations to Kate Hoare, who was the winner of the Goal of the Year, and Beck Privatelli, who won Mark of the Year. But as I said, the big uh, awards were last night, the W Awards. How did we all watch it? It was a really odd experience, wasn't it? But, you know, we, I did all the, the right things and got all excited about it. But I was on about five-minute delay, so I was trying not to watch. We were text messaging each other all the way through it. And, and also, like, it was very disturbing. I, I could not get past Gil's gigantic head, like, it's sort of like Zoom meeting 101, isn't it? To not really? have the camera down looking up your nose. Mm. I was just relieved actually for him that he didn't have a bat in the cave because <laughs> that, would have, been uh, that would have been really awkward. But, yeah, it was certainly a strange way to God-like. watch. like <laughs> That's right. It was like the voice of God. Yes. Wasn't it gorgeous, though, just to relive just in those little moments the some of the highlights of that AFLW season? And I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling so happy that I went to as many games as I went to and got to really immerse myself in that whole season because yes. it's just sustaining me. Yeah, absolutely. I felt the same way, actually. And reliving a lot of those games was really nice. And it did make me really miss footy. I watched it um, with my slippers and some M&Ms and twisties and then met a measle. <laughs> In that order? Was that an overshare? <laughs> Not at all. Oh, Emma Race will really appreciate that content. <laughs> it was just so nice to remember footy and actually what a great season it was. Are we going to um, talk about the elephant in the room and that Jazzy Garner only polled four votes? Yeah, that was a real surprise. It was really shocking, wasn't it? I mean, there were a few probably um, unexpected results in that. And mm. and I do think this goes back to it. in the old days in the Brownlow, the, the really sort of recognisable players tended to poll better than others. Um, and that was a big thing about them dyeing their hair really early when guys didn't do it back then. But it was something about attracting attention. Brownlow Classic W Awards, it's a midfielder's award. I mean, it's mm. it's interesting. Jazzy Garner has moved to the forward, had such a massive impact, and there was a stat from Sir Swamp Thing last night. She polled four votes in total for the whole W Awards and polled four, four perfect tens in the AFL Coaches yeah. Award and obviously won the AFL Players MVP. So anyway. There is always a theory <laughs> when you get you have votes taken away from you from, if you've got, if you've players, got a players alongside you. Yeah. And Emma Carney does poll really well because she's in everything yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that white scrunchie <laughs> <laughs> that's right it's like a it's like a um it's it's like an alarm a little for the, beacon that's, Maybe little that's beacon. why she that's wears it. it a little beacon for the umpires but um yeah it was a strange experience i must say i actually felt really emotional watching it i felt mm. sad for the players that this moment was um marked in the way that it was you know it was it was still special and it was unique and it is what it is and it, it can't be otherwise at the moment but it was still sad in a way to to not have the pomp and ceremony that we're normally used to and to to not be able to have all of the players together all of the coaches and officials there to celebrate Maddie Presparkas. Do you think there was just a tiny bit of relief, though, about not having to frock up at all? <laughs> I reckon there would have been. Yeah, yeah. I oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. certainly felt I mean, we had a great time last year, but, you know, there was a part of me going, oh, this is all right. I could, I could do this. <laughs> it's funny. Like, I don't know. Did you see the funny little video that Sophie Alexander did <laughs> on the makeup tutorial? We did. And yeah. I just think, you know, there's something about 
these players who are just so down to earth and so genuine and look so much more comfortable in their footy stuff and their casual gear. It's always funny at those awards that I don't recognise no. anyone. We were all, we were just, I remember last year, we were like, is that, is that? People who? should have numbers on <laughs> yes, their back. Yes. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, look, let's talk to some of those players, some of the big winners from the night. First up, we're going to talk to Isabel Huntington from the Western Bulldogs, who was the winner of the Rising Star. Her career has taken many twists and turns. She broke her leg in 2015. She did an ACL in 2016 couldn't play footy but was nevertheless drafted in 2017 because she had such promise. She then did her ACL again uh, in 2018. She's really fought to make her way back into the Western Bulldogs side and so it was wonderful to see her acknowledged last night. We welcome Izzy. Hi, Hi, it's Kate. Good, how are you doing? Well, thanks. Yeah. Huge congratulations. It's so, so exciting. I'm here with Rana. Hi, Izzy. Congratulations. Thank you, guys. Hey, Rana. How are you going? Good. I thought we might ask, uh, start off by asking you just to tell us a little bit about how the experience of being named the Rising Star unfolded because we were all watching you on our TV screens while you were on what looked like a video chat or something with, uh, with the AFL. Tell us how it all unfolded and how you actually found out that you were the Rising Star. Yeah, it was pretty unconventional, obviously, in these times. They've got to sort of adapt to the conditions, and they did very well. So it was pre-recorded in the afternoon, so we were sort of in the dark about it as players, um, both Maddie and I sort of receiving the award. So we were sort of told that they were getting everyone on that had been nominated, and then they'd announce it. So about two o'clock in the afternoon, they got us on FaceTime, and then Maddie was on the other side of the screen when I was, yeah, called up, and she was about to announce the, the Rising Star, and then... Um, <laughs> Quite finally, the video cut out exactly when she was saying the name. So I actually wasn't quite sure whether I'd won it or not. It sort of hung up on me for a few minutes. So <laughs> I was in the dark for a few minutes about that. But then they called back and um, it was straight into an interview with Sarah Jones. And, um, yeah, it was all pretty sh- surreal and a bit of a shock. But, um, yeah, I think that AFL did really well with the conditions that they had to make a really great night of it in the end. By all accounts, it sounds like you weren't really expecting this. Who did you have your eye on in the group? Yeah, I definitely wasn't expecting it. Um, I just feel like the talent pool amongst those nominees was really amazing and I've only seen the voting this morning and it was actually really close and that's absolutely no surprise to me. Um, Caitlin Greiser is obviously a really great player. She's leading goal kickers of the season and You've got Grace Egan, Jordan Patricios. I feel like literally any one of the, the nominees could have really been up there as well. Um, you know, so it was really hard to um, Yeah, I feel quite lucky in the end to have received the award because such a tremendous group of individuals in that mix. Izzy, let's talk about the journey that you've gone through to get to this point. And it's well documented that you have experienced a litany of injuries throughout your career. You've been so unlucky and you've had to work so hard to get back to where you have gotten to. And so I must say that when we were all watching it last night, we were so thrilled and actually really moved to see uh, you recognised in this way. But can you talk to us about what it felt like from your perspective, given that journey and given all of the adversity that you've overcome? Yeah, that's very nice of you guys to say. Thank you. Hasn't exactly been the easiest road for me um, injury-wise, but, you know, there are worse things that happen in life. So um, I just sort of had to build resilience along the way and um, get through it. So I had the broken leg and then two ACLs sort of in a row and then a few little niggles here and there, which are all part of it. But I've sort of been really lucky to have the support of the club and a really great rehab team there and my family and friends that have been able to get me through. And, yeah, there have been times that I've sort of doubted a lot and doubted whether I could 
get back to this level or, um, you know, even play it sometimes. But for me, just getting my body right for this season was really amazing and I was super excited just to be able to play most games and, and get through it all. So to finish the season like this is huge and I'm just so excited about hopefully getting a clean run with it with, with my teammates in the future. Was there a goal at the start of this season for you? Was there a kind of thing that you thought, okay, if I get to there, then I'll be happy? Just to play around one, to be honest. That was the first thing for me. I sort of haven't really been able to string together consistent games. I played two in my first season and then was injured and then came back for the last three last year. So I haven't been able to get many in a row. And um, I got round one done and then I got concussed in that. So it didn't exactly go to plan, but um, came back in round three and um, played every game since then. So that was pretty huge for me. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a huge thing for a player, but I think once you're injured so long and you realise, you know, you can't really take any game for granted. So just getting out there and playing each weekend was huge. We absolutely love watching you play football. And so I don't want to dissuade you from continuing to, to play footy, but um, I know you have aspirations to, to go into medical practice uh, in in the future. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, given the coronavirus pandemic and what we've been experiencing over the last couple of months, whether what you've been seeing unfold around the world has changed your perspective in any way about your interest in med- medical practice? Yeah, it's a good question. Probably something I've yeah had a bit of time to think about it during this isolation period and I think it definitely has sort of ignited that spark um, with it all and it's been quite interesting from that perspective. I've had a lot of my subjects sort of have lectures on coronavirus and things like that so I've been able to learn about it and yeah, learn about the sort of medical practice with it all. Yeah, I think it definitely has and we're seeing a lot of those players that um, are on the front line who are absolutely amazing and brave, like Grace Campbell and um, Tani Bester and all of those players. And, you know, I've always wanted to um, do medicine and I think I'm definitely still keen on doing that. But, yeah, it does change the perspective a little bit and it does sort of ignite that spark in you and um, probably a matter of just seeing where everything goes with the AFLW too um, and how that all progresses in terms of my pathway into that. But, yeah, I definitely, definitely am keen and, yeah, it's really ignited that spark. Izzy, alongside just the honour of the award, you also get a $20,000 personal investment portfolio or something I don't I don't even know what that means do you know what that means and and have you thought much about that I haven't actually to be honest I, I think um they assign you a, a financial manager as well so wow. maybe I won't have to think about that too much which is probably a good idea to put it in the hands of the experts as opposed to a yeah a young person <laughs> pretty crazy thing so I'll have to keep my eye and not be too silly and spend it all at once but it's probably a bit of a blessing that we're in lockdown at the minute because you know I can't go out and spend it on ridiculous things <laughs> <laughs> well, is if it helps, um, myself and the rest of the Outer Sanctum, crew, Outer Sanctum crew have put together a list of a bit of a wish list of things we would like <laughs> uh, for you. I'm you know, send it through. Yeah, some new that. shoes and some some ba- handbags and stuff. So, we'll, I'll send that through for you, you and your uh, investment advisor to consider. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, Izzy, huge congratulations from us. It feels like you've been in the system for a really long period of time and, and that to see you finally recognised after all of that hard work and effort that you've put in was absolutely terrific. Huge congratulations on being the 2020 Rising Star and we really look forward to seeing what you do, uh, hopefully staying fit and healthy back uh, in 2021. 
Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate the chat. Oh, so great to talk to Izzy Huntington and to, to hear that joy in her voice the day after the Rising Star Award was handed out. We also caught up with Karen Paxman, who this week was named as the All-Australian captain. Rana and Lucy sat down with her just a few moments ago. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, yeah. Paxi. This is Rana as well. Congratulations. Hey, Rana. How are you? This is so exciting. Um, how was your night last night, first of all? Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was great. It was uh, a oh, huge congrats to Maddie. So well deserved. Yeah, it was, it was unique watching it on a, on a screen and um, I was just at home with my dog. So we were just tucking into a kebab and watching the um, PNF <laughs> on the, on the screen. So, uh, yeah, of course it would have been nice to be with everyone and celebrate um, all together, but it was definitely celebrated just in a different way. It was nice. Let's celebrate a little bit more <laughs> by talking about your All-Australian captainship. Um, oh, that's not a word. Captain's is <laughs> I like captainship. And I like that. <laughs> First of all, I just wanted to hear a little bit about how you found out because I hear you had a little visit in one of your Zoom chats with the coach. Is that right? Yeah, it was similar to, I guess, a punch call. Um, got a message from my coach, Nick, um, asking if I'd be available for a, a footy meeting with him and um, one of our other coaches, Jane. So I dialed in and then not too long after that, Nick uh, Livingston, she dialed in and I thought, oh, she wasn't part of the invitation, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew something was going on and then, yeah, she told me I made the, the um, All-Australian thing, which was obviously... Um, surprising as it is always I think um and then she yeah she let me know about the captaincy so yeah a bit taken back and very humbled though an awesome team selected and there's a lot of leaders too in that in that team as well so to be um uh yeah to be named captain that I'm very proud See, that's the difference between you and me because I think if Nick Liv popped into one of my Zooms, I'd think I was in trouble yeah. <laughs> immediately. Yeah, definitely. My heart was racing. I thought, oh, I didn't think I was in trouble because I'd been at home and I, I know I've been good lately. So, yeah, I didn't know, though, what it was, that's for sure. I can't actually imagine you getting into too much trouble, Karen Paxman. But um, <laughs> <laughs> both uh, you and Emma Carney, who is vice-captain, made history this week. You are the only two players who've been selected in every All-Australian team since the AFLW began. How do you stay motivated? That's a, a good question. I think being at Melbourne, certainly I feel very lucky to be surrounded by, a, I guess, a group of staff that, you know, hold you pretty accountable and always, I guess, push for you to be better. And I guess naturally too, I, I you know, from the beginning, from season one, I, I wanted to not just play footy. I wanted to, you know, get the best out of myself. And I guess I made a promise to myself to, you know, when I when I finish up footy, I, I don't want to have any regrets. I want to, I guess, gotten the most out of myself. And uh, certainly, being in a in a professional environment in the last few years, I've, I've been able to kind of tick away and, and get better. And you know, I guess utilize the resources around me that I'd never had before. So I guess just trying to soak it all in and and mm. take as much from it all as I can and and be as good as I can for myself and for the team as well. So I think it's just. Yeah, you know, it is hard sometimes though to stay motivated and especially at the moment with everything going on and having to stay home a lot and, you know, gyms closing and all these types of things. 
I think you just have to think ahead to, you know, when the games start back up, you want to be fit and strong and ready to roll. So you, you just know you have to put in the work. Um, it just doesn't doesn't come, unfortunately. I wish it did, but you do have to put it in. <laughs> You're telling me that we can't all just eat kebabs every night and <laughs> sort of get all Australian selection. I'm pleased to hear you had it. Hey, a little birdie's told us that you've got a very close bond with senior assistant coach at Melbourne, Jane Lang. What's Jane's coaching style like and what does she bring to the club and to the team? Yeah, I do. We've um, we've been good good friends for a few years now, and I think she just uh, she builds relationships really well with with people. And um, you know, she's not the loudest or over the top or anything like that. But I think she certainly builds genuine relationships with people, and she's honest with players as well. She genuinely wants the best out of people, and you know, I think that kind of is quite transparent. And you know, she's able to form bonds with with players pretty quickly. I think, um, and also, you know, she's got such a deep knowledge um, around footy and she's, she's clever with, with things and myself I'm not really a huge you know technical footy head um, yeah I definitely appreciate you know having her around and being able to go to her and kind of ask or oh, I didn't understand <laughs> I didn't understand this can you go through this or, and certainly for me you know she's such a, a great leader herself and I've been able to go to her and um, I guess in a mental kind of way where, uh, you know, I've asked her what are some things I can do to, to be better in that area and she certainly helped a lot of the girls in that in that aspect just um, with the leadership, on the leadership front. Speaking of leadership, Paxi, you obviously were named captain and I'm interested in what you, you think your leadership style is and are there any areas of leadership that you've felt challenged by this year? Yeah, definitely. I guess, you know, I've been playing footy since I was 16 and certainly back then I... I I didn't recognise any leadership qualities in myself and I think that was just purely, you know, having a one, one-eyed one view on what leadership was and I think a, a lot of people think it's this overt authoritarian kind of confident and, um, and that's certainly, I guess, not, not me and I've definitely had to do a bit of self-discovery with, with on that front and try and draw out, I guess, my, my strengths in that area and, you know, what makes me a leader and in a genuine kind of way because I'd never want to feel that I'm not being genuine or or authentic around people or um, anything like that. So it's definitely been a bit of a journey over the last few years, but being, I guess, again, at Melbourne and being around, you know, some some awesome leaders and and coaches and I guess teachers, you know, they, they draw it out of you and give you that confidence to, I guess, discover what it is about you that, makes you a leader and, and everyone is in their own way. Um, so you just have to find find little bits about you that, I guess, you know, make you a, a leader and everyone's got them. So for me, I don't feel all that, you know, confident and I, I don't like telling people what to do or direction and things like that. Um, I think a lot of my style is I kind of hope to lead by example um, in, in work rate. You know, I do like to balance fully with fun. So I like, you know, I like the environment to be fun and, you know, at times easy going. And I guess, you know, when we need to be serious, that's that's the time to be serious, but also have that good balance. Because I guess what I think anyway, people perform best and learn best when they're comfortable and they feel included and they're, in, you know, content with the environment they're in. So that's kind of the style, I guess, I bring. Yeah, it's just, it's, it has been a journey though. Um, and I've probably taken a back seat for a little while, I guess, being surrounded um, over the last few years by such 
incredible leaders, I guess, you know. Um, Daisy's amazing and I, I've learned a lot from her and um, Mel Hickey was at the D's as well. And then coming from Darabin, there were so many great leaders there but I think the trick is just finding your own little flavour and um, not comparing yourself to anyone else. That's kind of what you have to do and just go with and hopefully you've got, you know, supportive people around you at the same time to to make you see and realise your strengths as well. One of the things we talked about during the AFLW season was actually a rumour, I think, started by one of your teammates that (laughs) you have a propensity to turn up to games quite early. (laughs) Can you confirm or deny that rumour? I I, I can give you an explanation. It's kind of true. I do like to be organised in there and ready and taped up and I I don't like being rushed because I feel like it just puts me off a little bit. This one game when we were playing the Bulldogs, it it was the time of the game that through me because I knew I'd be driving in peak hour. Um, I got ready quite early and I drove over before the traffic could have any effect on <laughs> my arrival time. So I shouldn't have left so early, but I got to the game, I think, before most of the staff on that night. So um, <laughs> I was ready. I was certainly ready. But, yeah, I like to be organised. I don't like to be rushing around. Because once we once the timeline before the game kind of hits, you know, you're set to – it comes down to the minute almost. So you, you've got – I guess, limited time. Um, and if you're caught behind, catch up, Dan. <laughs> Paxi, have you got any tips? Because I'm perpetually late, so how can I be <laughs> early everywhere? It starts with getting up on time in the morning um, right. and having having set out all the jobs you need to do that day. You know what I do? I actually set in my phone alarms to let me know, like I stagger them out through the day so oh, something will go off. Love it. Yeah, I love Yeah, and that. I'll be like, oh, and if you've already done it when the alarm goes off, you really think you're winning, so that's... Uh, <laughs> you're a woman you after might, my own heart. <laughs> you might not be there yet, but just give it a go. See how, how yeah. it goes for you. Look, you might have to mentor me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Pax. It's been lovely to talk to you and congratulations again. What an honour for you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a nice day. Oh, it's always wonderful to catch up with Karen Paxman. She's such a superstar. She mentioned in that interview Maddie Presparkas, who, of course, was the winner of the big award this year, the W Award, the award for the fairest and best player in the AFLW, and Lucy and Nicole caught up with her. How are you feeling? Um, yeah, pretty shocked at the moment, pretty um, pretty excited, but, um, yeah, a lot of shock as well and sort of doesn't feel that real, but... Loving it at the same time and it's been an amazing last couple of days. We watched you last night be presented with the medal and it wasn't a normal medal presentation by any stretch. So we had video calls. You were presented the medal by your sister. We are fascinated about the process of how that all rolled out, especially the question of Michael Wilson. Was he hiding in your kitchen? Yeah, no. Um, Michael was actually out there. Um, taking photos and I was actually told that I was just presenting the Rising Star and then doing an interview on a few questions alongside my sister and Sarah Jones with a few other girls and um, Michael was just there to take some um, behind the scenes sort of photos of that happening and the next minute yeah um, I was waiting to do the interview with my sister but it just it took probably 40 minutes or so and I was like what the hell is going on and then next minute um, Gillen um, announced my name as the winner of the best Ferris and I was like what the hell like and I just looked over and just started crying and everyone um, sort of popped up confetti to me and um, yeah my sister walked out with the medal and I just couldn't believe it and it was a crazy experience. In terms of your sister presenting that, it must have been such a meaningful thing and we could hear her whispering to you just as she awarded you with the medal. How did that feel? Yeah, it just yeah felt amazing and um, couldn't actually have 
um, pictured it in any other way now that I look at it. And yeah, I think they, I think my sister was just in pure shock too, and she had no idea. She just came over expecting to do an interview with me, and um, yeah, next minute she's presenting me with a medal, and um, yeah, she was sat next to me when I was trying to speak and not cry at the same time, which didn't happen. But um, yeah, it was just an amazing experience, and um, I'm sure she really enjoyed it as well. Maddie, you become the sixth Carlton player in the 156 year of um, history of that club to win this honour of the best and fairest in the league. Has that sunk in for you? What does it mean for you as a Carlton player? Oh, well, yeah, I definitely didn't know it was the sixth player to do so. So, um, yeah, that's actually crazy to hear and it's pretty incredible, but um, I haven't actually heard that yet. So um, that's really amazing and, um, yeah, I can't actually imagine it now and to have my name sort of... Alongside those five others at Carlton, it's pretty crazy. And I was on the FaceTime call, Zoom, with um, Chris Judd yesterday. So, yeah, to have those players sort of around me at the club and um, support me as well um, is pretty incredible. And, oh, it's just... Oh, now that I hear that, it's pretty crazy, Where There's a gorgeous photo of you as a junior player doing the rounds of social media. What do you think that little girl would be thinking, that little Maddie would be thinking about today? Yeah, I don't know. Like, um, a lot of those boys I played footy with all the time and... um, yeah, I was always playing in the backyard or across the road from my house with those boys and playing at school with them, and they were my best mates growing up. And um, yeah, that photo makes it away, makes its way around pretty fast these days in the social media. And yeah, that girl in that photo would be very proud of herself and um, all the hard work that I've put in has sort of come true, and um, it's just paid off as well. And um, I know that all those boys sent me that exact photo last night and said how proud they were of me. And they still said that they're trying to capture me, but um, um, it's pretty incredible. And, yeah, to still hear from those boys in the photo and all my friends back then um, was pretty crazy. And, um, yeah, I know that that photo is going to be an all-time favourite for sure. <laughs> you started playing, so as we're talking about, as a really young player, but you're also one of the first players to go through with an uninterrupted pathway, and I think we're starting to see the benefits of that. Can you talk a little bit about what that has meant for your football? For me, it's so lucky you just see so many girls that have had to stop playing footy for a couple of years or so, halfway through their teenage um, sort of career. And, yeah, for me... Um, I think I couldn't have imagined if I had to do that and to be able to just come all the way through without sort of having to pause or anything has obviously been so beneficial and um, it's definitely paid off and for the pathways that I've come through I know that there's so many girls in the same position that um, I've come through now at this age and I'm sure there's many more to come but you just see that the young talent that actually has come into the AFL Women's has just set it on fire and that's expected to come for the next few years um, through all these different pathways that have been created for girls' footy and no doubt um, it's just going to be even more amazing for the years to come. The um, season ended more than abruptly and very unexpectedly uh, for Carlton. You guys are really on a high and playing some extraordinary football. How have you all got around each other in the COVID lull? Yeah, it's it's been it's been obviously difficult and um, it's been hard not to obviously share some of these moments with all the girls and the club itself that... Um, yeah, I've had a lot of calls and a lot of FaceTime calls and we've had a lot of Zoom calls together and yeah, being able to see them and hear them in some way um, is amazing but I know that they're all super proud of me as well and um, I've received numerous messages of all of them over the last few days now and for the past week that it's been as well. Can't wait, sort of um, getting a bit antsy, I sort of can't wait to um, catch up with them all and actually be able to see them and celebrate with them in person but um, yeah, for now FaceTime calls 
um, aren't doing too bad. Maddie, one of the things that really stood out to me this year about Carlton was how connected you all looked in terms of your football, but also just that bond. It just was so clear that you're all enjoying playing alongside each other so much. Had something changed? Is there something that you can tell us about the atmosphere at the club this year? Yeah, I think for the, well, especially for the um, last two years that I've been at the club, I know that the culture has just gone from strength to strength. And I think with a lot of new staff coming on board and it's made a different sort of um, feeling around the club. And I know that um, after the first couple of years, they did a bit tough, and, but they all stuck together and um, they've all had each other's back. And I know that um, since I've been at the club, it's just been an amazing club to be a part of. And the girls are just so welcoming to anyone that walks through the doors and I've definitely felt that. I mean, we all just get along like a house on fire, really, and it's just like you got 30, um, 30 of your family members um, in the same club rooms as you all the time, and um, that's just how it generally feels when you're there, and um, I know that any other girl could probably say the same thing at the club, but, yeah, it's pretty amazing, and um, we all want the same goal. We all want to win a grand final together, and that's our ultimate goal. Um, we're all working pretty hard to do so, but, um, yeah, we all push each other at training and try to get the best out of each other, and... We do that, obviously, from a lot of positivity and um, great feedback to each other, but we all get along like sisters and um, like a big family. So um, it's definitely a club to, great club to be a part of, and I can't wait for many more years to come, but more so can't wait for um, what 2021 is going to offer and hopefully, yeah, some premiership medals around our neck. <laughs> we can't wait to see that too, Maddie. Now, one of our family members and sisters in potting, Emma Race, would really want to be passing on her absolute heartfelt congratulations and three little blues supporters in her household looked very excited last night so from her and from all of us we just want to say congratulations we love watching you play football and we are just full of awe for everything that you've been able to do so thank you so much thank you so much thanks for having me this morning for the last couple of weeks we've been doing a new segment where we share with you you know, cultural content, books and music and films and things that have been keeping us occupied during the pandemic. Um, and I haven't been on for a few weeks, but I know there's been a bit of a discussion about whether you have an intro available for the for the for this show. <laughs> you might have heard KY Your Way. Lucy had two cracks at it. Rana had a crack at it. Yeah. And I wasn't I was thrilled. Good. I loved the attempt. <laughs> Thanks for your feedback. But I have gone away and I've started making one, but I, I, can, I can throw it in the bed and cake if well, you feel like you've got something... Better to offer up. Well, look, I did watch the Beastie Boys documentary the other night and uh, I was inspired. I love sport. I'm a big supporter. But then the pan hit. It was all aborted. Frio's W dream, it was sadly thwarted and was stuck at home. It's a new world order. Maybe you're homeschooling your son or your daughter. Stuck together under bricks and mortar. Old reruns with BT, it's a kind of torture. And you've already learnt how to play the recorder. So if you're trying to hold your head above water. Looking for escape from all the disorder. Looking for ways to make the time shorter. Come this way, this is the fifth quarter. Yeah! Oh, 
be competitive God. or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, that actually Sorry. took my breath away. <laughs> So good. I know. Maybe it took your breath away. I took. I look. It took my breath away too, but for the wrong. I'm a bit worried reasons. that the actual content of the segment's not going to live up to the <laughs> intro. Now. I won't lie. There's, there were. A, there's a tiny bit of um, Kendall Succession vibes in that. L <laughs> <laughs> to the OG. I'm just gonna I have to put that out there. But so good. Look, I've t- I've got a lot of inspiration. You know, I draw on a lot of influences with my work. So, um, but the Beastie Boys documentary is one of them, and I recommend it. So what has everybody been listening to, watching, engaging with? Lucy. I've been listening to something. Um, It's a new six-part podcast from the New York Times called Rabbit Hole, where technology writer Kevin Roos poses the question, what is the internet doing to us? Which is a very good question especially for right now. The series grew out of a piece that he wrote for the Times last year called The Making of a YouTube Radical, and that was a story that focused on a 26-year-old named Caleb Kane who became fixated on far-right conspiracy theories. So Caleb features in the podcast, and through him, Roos explores the larger stories of how the algorithms that platforms like YouTube use and how they're refined and aimed at primarily getting users to watch for as long as possible and the distortions that that can create. In an interview about the series, Roos said, and this as a quote, if I were to try and explain the entire internet, how it works, how it pushes and pulls people, could we actually do that in audio format? And could that draw together these strands I'd been tugging on for the last few years? So we decided to try. Episodes of this podcast are released each Friday. So I've only listened to the first two. And so far it is compelling. It is frightening, but it's also probably the best explanation of how the notion of truth has become so warped. So I highly recommend that. Just another little podcast I want to give a shout out to is a little sister pod of the Outer Sanctum called Totally Normal for Girls. Ten-year-old Millie interviews AFLW players about a whole range of things such as puberty, friends, money. And this week she spoke to Daisy Pierce about parenting, being one and also the relationship that she has with hers. And it's absolutely delightful. It's so good, but it's also so helpful. Now, full disclosure, (laughs) Millie is my niece and my goddaughter (laughs) and also perhaps the daughter of Emma Race. But the series is delightful. It is snack-sized conversations about things that might be on the mind of your kids too so have a look for that it on is your podcast really good. Good. yeah it is really good yeah. amazing what a so talented right what a natural huh <laughs> such a talented family nicole yeah i've actually mine's very on point for the moment right now because i'm reading the glad shout by alice robinson who's a local writer and it has two connections to to our lives today um the first one is set in a kind of a dystopic but near future dystopic world where there's been a massive environmental catastrophe and the Melbourne is basically flooded or Victoria is flooded and the states are cut off from each other and the survivors are all seeking shelter in the MCG. So there's the footy, yeah, so there's your footy connection. It's looking at things like rations and all, you know, limited supplies and a lot of the stuff that we've been discussing at the moment. So it feels like it would be really intense and perhaps not very escapist. And and that's probably true on some degree, but it's really an exploration of relationships in that environment, which the main character, uh, her husband goes missing. She has a very small child with her and she's basically stuck in a tent uh, on the MCG, surrounded by a lot of other women and children for the most part. You know, so all of the sorts of things that we've seen play out recently uh, to some degree of happening there. It's a it's a really powerful story and I do recommend it. I haven't finished yet, so I don't know how positive it is. But um, 
every time I, I read or watch disaster fiction or catastrophe fiction, I always question whether people would behave badly in the way that they always do in, in drama. And I have to say, you know, watching some of the pockets of the um, misbehaviour around the world, it does for the first time, it makes me think we are really capable of quite primal responses. And But it also does remind me too that there are always people doing the right thing. And, and I think that's that's the thing that stands out most from this novel and, and does make it worth the journey of going into a pretty difficult territory. So I do recommend it. In a very different mode, I've been watching Normal People. Uh, it's a TV series based on the novel by Sally Rooney. It's a weird thing because I liked that novel, but I didn't love it and I don't remember a lot about it. So I'm watching it almost like it's brand new. I did binge the first eight episodes. I think it has to come with a, a mental health warning because it does have some fairly challenging content, but it is so watchable. And when I say I binged, I actually watched eight episodes back to back when I was meant to be doing a million other things. So it's very addictive. Um, and I think there's like 12 episodes. So be prepared to set aside some time. I enjoyed that book, so Mm. I'll go and seek that out. I was going to say, I think most of us can find that time too. Yeah, really. (laughs) Rana, what about you? What have you been up to? I weirdly haven't been consuming as much as I normally would. I don't know. I think it's the homeschooling and just all the little mini crises going on in my life. But I did manage to read the Taylor Harris interview written by Conrad Marshall, um, which is really worth a read. And I think a few things jumped out at me about this article. One thing was just that it reminded me that women's football still produces and attracts massive stars and produces interesting moments and moments in time that go down in history. I think people often write off women's football a lot and think of it as not as interesting as men's football. But this article reminded me that actually, no, some of the biggest conversations we have in this country have been centred around women's football. The other thing is I think Taylor Harris, in a way that most big stars have, she has an element of mystery about her, even though there is so much to know about Taylor Harris. There's still something that's slightly unknowable about her and she's very classically Gen Z. She's just the kind of the quintessential young person athlete, however you put that. Um, And it's just fascinating to read a bit more about her life. The other thing I guess about this article is that that moment, that picture that Michael Wilson took of her kick will go down in history. And this article is part of how that those moments become folklore. And I'm really fascinated by that. And so I just like, I, I like seeing how that one moment has slowly become embedded in our conversations around feminism and women's sport. So I, I highly recommend it. The other thing I'm going to um, plug is Feminist Fridays put on by the Victorian Women's Trust on Facebook. I will disclose I'm on the board of the Victorian Women's Trust, but I would plug it anyway because it's so good. But I highly recommend this Friday. It's basically a fortnightly series of live conversations between feminists on the issues that matter. Um, And this week, Jess Hill will be on um, Stella Prize winning author. And they're talking about violence in Australia, our shared history and what it's like for women in the literary world right now. And while that's a bit doom and gloomy, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. I will definitely tune into that. After your recommendation last week, Mm. I'm about eight chapters into her book and it is an extraordinary book in terms of, I guess, like 
topics that she's discussing, but the way that she does it with case studies, but also just the most beautiful writing. Yep. Is, yeah, she's gorgeous. Yeah. Very predictably, uh, the main thing that I was focused on in recent weeks was watching the Andy Murray documentary. <laughs> Here we uh, go. Very on I know, and I, could do, I could do a spin-off Strap pod uh, about it, of course. <laughs> and I acknowledge it's, it's quite boring for me to talk about Man- Andy Murray again, especially if you're not uh, a fan. But essentially what it's about is his career-threatening hip injury are some stalled attempts to rehabilitate his desperation to avoid retirement and to make a comeback. And if you're an Andy Murray fan, there's a lot in it. If you're a tennis fan, there's a lot in it too. But um, even if you're not, I I think it is really interesting and powerful documentary Um, because what it got me thinking about a lot was the intensity and drive that some elite athletes have and the challenge that athletes can face when their career ends or they find themselves in a position uh, where their career might be ending and they're worried about the loss of structure and routine. And that, of course, I think is very relevant to the pandemic, not just if you're an elite athlete, but for all of us who've lost structure and routine or whose lives have been um, turned upside down in this time. Look, one of the things I should should say is that watching that documentary, I felt very much that Andy Murray is driven to compete and to get back to playing tennis in a way that seems totally self-absorbed and that I found quite perplexing. I just thought, why go to these lengths? Why put yourself what he puts himself through in order to play but there is a very revealing moment in the middle of the film where he records himself saying a bit about why and why tennis is important to him. He doesn't film himself on screen. He records a voice memo. I think it's it's sort of all that he can manage. And I don't want to give away what he says, but what I will say is that I found it deeply moving. Uh, he does, I think, for the first time ever, talk about being a survivor of the Dunblane massacre. And it's a moment that really sheds light on why being able to continue playing tennis is so important to him. And as I said, I think it's a very revealing film that will connect to many of our listeners because whether it's sport or whether it's something else, we all find meaning in something. Um, And I think right now we're all feeling the impact of what it's like to have the things we enjoy taken away from us. So I thought it was a very honest and reflective film, one that also prompted self-reflection, but it's also ultimately also really uplifting um, and and beautiful and affirmed my deep love for (laughs) for Andy Murray. So I recommend it to you. People think, why is it important? It's just tennis. It's just a sport. That is outrageous. That isn't for me. One final thing that I know a lot of us have been doing um, is listening to music over this period. I've been listening to a lot of music and I found a lot of comfort in it. And um, we thought it might be nice to put together some playlists, which is a bit of a modern day mixtape, so that we can share with our listeners what it is that we've been listening to. And a few of us have done that. And um, we're going to share those playlists over our social media uh, over the next few days. I want to also say that I acknowledge that uh, lots of people in different industries and particularly in the arts have been suffering a loss of income because of the pandemic. Um, So if you do have the capacity to go further and not just listen to playlists and share them, but to actually go out and buy albums or books, subscribe to or support the arts if you can in any way, we would really encourage you to do that, especially for young and emerging artists, people who are not so famous who um, could really do with your support right now. But that's it, I think, for this week. It's been such a thrill to be back. There's only one thing left to say, friends, and that is... Go footy!